And so it fits that we would be preaching in this day from Jonah to a reluctant church like us who are reluctant because we face times of pressure where if we speak the name of Jesus, we are made fun of or ridiculed or even publicly maligned. And so in the days that we live, as we deal with the challenges of presenting Christ in our culture, it's important that we think about how sometimes we truly are reluctant. Sometimes we are ashamed of Christ. And being ashamed of Christ, we, we are victims of those who would love to silence the church who would love to silence people who speak about the gospel. And so, as you and I sing this song, A Mighty Fortress, as we were singing it this morning, I just thought about, gosh, what Martin Luther went through because of his convictions of what God had taught him in the Scriptures. He lost many friends to being beheaded or burned at the stake just because he was preaching Jesus. Is that hard to believe? I want to ask if you'll stand with me as we read from Jonah chapter 3. We hear these words as God records them for us through the Old Testament. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That should send off alarms to your mind. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. Fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion Turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This is the word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> when, we, uh, when you and I begin to think about what it means to repent and believe, you, this story probably screams more than anything else of what repentance may be understood in our day. And unfortunately, it's really not what godly repentance that leads to faith is a, is a repentance that Christ expects of his people. But the most important thing that the Bible teaches us is that God is not a God who sits by and watches the world become more and more evil. If you go through the Old Testament, one of the things you'll find is that God warns the creation there is a point where in turning away from him, it will reach such a level of wickedness that he will bring judgment upon it. 
He told Abraham, when he was leading Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans into the land of promise, he said, this land I'm going to give to you and your descendants. But then he went through a caveat and said, but not now, because the sins of the people here have not reached the level where they will be overthrown. That's a paraphrase. And so as we read this story and we hear about these Ninevites, the Ninevites were in Assyria. They were a wicked people. Logan went and went into great detail about how, how incredibly wicked these people were. The practices they, they did. What they did not only to the people they conquered, but the people who lived within their own kingdom. You see, they, they not only oppressed the people they conquered, they oppressed their own citizenry. They enslaved each other. They cheated one another. They did all kinds of things you and I would think, well, that, well I hope not. Maybe that sounds like America today. There was all kind of lying going on. There you didn't know where to go to for the truth. And yet in the midst of that, the only thing that held the kingdom together was a king who if you if you put aside his word, you were beheaded. So it was a dictatorship. Whatever the king said was law. And if you could get away with anything else, then you were, you were truly a Ninevite. The most amazing thing as we look at this passage this morning is when you and I begin to think about what it means to repent, this whole business of Jonah is surprising because Jonah was sent with, with a purpose. And in that purpose of preaching to the Ninevites, he, re- he reveals true motives, he reveals, he reveals true justice, and then finally he reveals true mercy. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to the first one. When I was growing up, and by the way, Cindy and I, thank you for letting us be away this week at General Assembly. We were in Denver, Colorado. For those of you who think we went out there to drink beer and to enjoy the the mountains, we didn't. That's not true. We did enjoy the mountains. But it was from the church that we looked out over the beautiful scenery of that place and enjoyed that wonderful part of our nation. And as I was out there, I was remembering a a trip I took with my parents when I must have been about six or seven years old. My father had a tremendous, uh, I won't say fear, he wouldn't get an airplane no matter what. He, I believe it was because when he was in the army, in the, he was an infantryman, and, be, and in that time he probably rode with some of these crazy helicopter pilots who, who took him in various places he never wanted to go. But from that point in most of his life, I knew that he never wanted to get on a plane. In fact, one year he sent the four of us, my mother, my older brother and sister, to visit her family, my mother's family in Washington State. He stayed at home because he knew that, they were, that mother needed to get out there to fly. Well, on this particular trip, we were going across the country. And, and except for Ken Belk, I don't know any of, any, any of y'all who have driven across the country, but as you, drive, as you drive from the south and you head west, you get to a large state, I think they call it Texas. And as you go through Texas, you get to Dallas and basically the end of the world begins. From, from Dallas to Lubbock, there's just basically nothing. And, and, and in the back seat, my sister was on my right, my brother was on my left, which means they had window seats and I was in the middle. And I'll never forget that day when we were just bored out of our minds and we started to do what children do. Do you know what they do? They begin to cause problems. 
And so we began to punch and, and, and pinch and hit each other. And, and it went on and on until finally it, it turned into a brawl. I learned, and being the youngest, you can be very sneaky in this way. I, I learned that if I timed it just right, that I could pinch or hit my brother in a way that no my parents would not see me do it, but he would turn around and hit the tar out of me just in time for my mother to have turned her head and called him down and say, don't you ever hit your brother again. It became a game. Until somewhere between Dallas and Lubbock, we had become so rowdy, so uncontrollable, that I'll never forget the fear of God coming into that car when my father slammed on brakes, turned around with blood in his eyes, and said, if you say one more word before we get to Lubbock, I'm going to take you out and get a switch and switch you. And let me tell you, you did not want to be switched by my father. Now, you could well imagine. That was the quietest our trip ever knew and experienced. But it did not bring repentance. Because the minute we passed Lubbock, guess what happened? <laughs> well, when you and I read the, the story of Jonah, one of the things that really astounds us is that the lesson begins with the word of the Lord, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Why a second time? Because Jonah ran the first time. And you will remember from chapter 2 that God, in his infinite wisdom, saved Jonah from drowning by allowing him to be swallowed by a whale. And then after a period of three days, Jonah came to such repentance in his life that he cried out to God. But was it really repentance? I'm not sure if God was concerned about the people of Nineveh and Jonah, or maybe God was more concerned about Jonah, the reluctant prophet. You see, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because those Ninevites, as far as he concerned, was concerned, deserved hell. They deserved God's judgment. And he knew that if he did go to that city and preach what God told him, that God would be merciful. And he really honestly thought, I don't want God to be merciful to them. Now, I, I can think of some people in my life I would like to join Jonah in saying that. God, I don't think you deserve, or I don't think these people deserve your mercy or grace. God, I don't think... I don't think people who go against your word deserve God's mercy. Haven't you had moments like that? Where in your own mind and in your own heart, you've looked at yourself and you've said to yourself, Oh, now that I know Jesus, I am saved and I'm forgiven. And those poor people over there, how, oh gosh, they need Jesus too. Have you ever thought that way? I have. Well... There it is, the true motives. When Jonah 
finally listens to God and he says, okay, God, I'll do what you say. It's at that point he goes to the city. And the city, if you notice, it says Nineveh was a large city. I looked this up as far as trying to de determine this. But if you look in verse 3, it says it was a very important city. And, and it, it literally was a city that had such a large footprint on the earth. Some people think that it was probably 60 miles wide, maybe 90. Now, how many people can live in a 60-mile square city? I was looking up in Charlotte and found out that Charlotte is about a three, uh, I think it's a 30,000-square-foot city. Now, I could be wrong with that m number in my mind. I never hold them well. But what's more important is it took three days to travel from one side of the city to the other. A day's travel was about 60 miles. Excuse me, 20 to 60 miles. And Jonah traveled one day about 20 miles into the city. And as he was going, he was preaching and telling people that Nineveh was going to fall. And I imagine he was thinking to himself, good. They deserve it. The true motives of a prophet sometimes are not as honorable as we'd hope. Neither are ours. The true motives we have sometimes in following God aren't exactly crystal clear or pure in its intent. You see, one of the things we've learned about ourselves is that we are incredibly selfish people. We're idolaters at heart. We would love to make God in our own image, and we would love to make Christianity a rule book that we determine what is right and what is wrong. But one of the things that Christ teaches us is that when we are to follow him, we're to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. And so our motivation for living the Christian life is not to be better than other people. It's to understand the grace that God has given us, that we deserve God's punishment and judgment and wrath. That when we look at others who are separated from God, that was our condition before we became so smart and went to church. No, no. That was our condition before Christ and the message of the gospel permeated the darkness of my heart, causing me to repent and turn to believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians that faith is not something we produce. It's a gift that God gives, lest any of us should boast. And so when you look at the whole premise of being a Christian, we do not come into this place with the idea that somehow we're better than other people. We come into this place recognizing how impoverished our lives are without the mercy of God. And how when we were on our path to hell to be eternally separated from God, God had mercy upon us and delivered us from that darkness and transferred us into his kingdom through his son. Isn't that powerful? So that speaks to that whole purpose of why are you a Christian? And more importantly, what difference does your life make because of it? What is your motivation for your faith? Are you simply someone who's got yours and then because you've gotten yours, you don't have to worry about others? That's greed. It's not a gift of the Spirit. 
Are you coming to church because you somehow hope and pray that by being in church that God will overlook the sins of your past? Well, that's justification by yourself without any justification through Christ. You are looking simply to balance the scales of your life, to say, well, I've done more good than bad, therefore I must be a pretty good person. None of that will lead to salvation. And so as Jonah was preaching and he was proclaiming what God was going to do, it stirred in the city a repentance, a repentance where even the king began to get down on his knees, take off his royal, thro- uh, royal robes, throw himself in the dust. And that was the way in which in the Middle East people still to this day humble themselves. They get into the dirt. They say, I am to be turned into dirt unless there is some merciful God who changes this. And in that moment as they come to the truth of what God was saying through Jonah... They repented, but they didn't come to faith. Well, what do I mean? The the repentance was there. They, They, for a while, suspended their wickedness and their violence. For a, a while, they saw that they were being socially unjust to each other. For a while, they began to stop cheating each other and stealing from each other and lying to each other. But it did not change their view or worship of God. Well, then what benefit did it bring? Well, therein is the revelation of how God works in the world. That God raises up nations and he destroys them. Did you know that? That God is the one who allows nations to prosper and to have its demise. And there is in the teaching of Scripture that a nation can get so far from God's will. In other words, a nation can be so averse to the truth of who God is and what he says that God will allow that nation to come to such a place that they will eventually come to his judgment and his wrath, which is eventually they'd self-destruct. They self-destruct. We see that happening in our culture, and it frightens me in our day because there was a time when when every person, whether they were Christian or not, knew the Ten Commandments. Do you? There was a time where every Christian knew the Lord's Prayer. Do you? When I was out in California, uh, Colorado, California, good Lord, I'm... I'm so tired, I can't even think what state I was in. When I was in Colorado, I was amazed at how there is a culture there that is totally different from anything I have ever witnessed before. And it is not centered on godliness. It is a culture that basically is centered on enjoying life to the fullest. Why, this past month I read, did you see it? In Jeopardy, for those of you who watch Jeopardy, my wife and I love to sit at supper in the table and we'll watch it over and over again. And, and uh, I'm always amazed at all the things I don't know. But they had a, a flash on the news that there was a category of the Bible and not one of the three contestants knew any of the answers to any of the questions in Jeopardy. 
when I was growing up, it was the first category everybody knew. What has happened? What is happening to us? Well, maybe we've become so reluctant in our faith, we have forgotten that we live by the Word of God. And living by the Word of God, God bestows His blessing upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Truly. And so as Jonah goes in to preach about this, and he begins to tell these Ninevites what they obviously knew was true, that they were oppressing each other, they were lying to each other, they were mistreating each other in a way that God never intended for humans, humans to do to one another, that they were oppressing each other with all kinds of evil, they suddenly came to that joyous place where they could say, we are. But they didn't do it because of God and his glory. They did it because they were afraid of the punishment. Hmm. I was talking with a, a woman in our church. Oh, gosh, it has to be over two, two decades ago. We were praying that her husband would come to faith in Christ, and we began talking one afternoon. And I said, well, tell me, how are you sharing the gospel with him? And she said, well, I wake up every morning and tell him he's going to hell. <laughs> and I said, how, how is that working for you? And she said, well, he hasn't come yet, but I'm praying. And I thought about that statement. I thought about how dangerous that kind of thing is because it speaks about a heart that somehow believes because now that I am forgiven that I can go others and tell them that they're going to hell too and not even bat an eye about the grace of God. Well, you know, my friends, I want you to know when I look at this passage of Jonah, I, I really begin to resonate with Jonah's reluctancy because in our day, there really is a suffering that the church is going to face as we proclaim Christ. As we go and tell people about the love of God, we have to tell them about the judgment of God. We have to warn people. We have to let them know what God has said concerning the future of their life if they continue down a road. But there is hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. That hope is in that we trust in Christ in such ways that we abandon our own intellect, our own desires, our own vices that would lead us in all kinds of pleasures. That we abandon those things because we know that the ultimate end of them is destruction. That the ultimate end, if we are left to our own devices, is that we will implode. Did you see the news this morning or this week about the, the incredibly wealthy individuals that decided they wanted to go to see the Titanic? Did you see it? And how they took this incredibly expensive mini-sub down to the depths of the earth to go and gaze upon a, a ship that would never sink at the bottom of the sea? And how they believed and in such measure that they were in complete safety. And as they descended the depths that we find out now that the, serp, the sub they were in was actually uh, defective and it imploded. I, I kind of feel that's kind of the way our culture is today. 
that we're descending into the depths of things that we would never imagine before. Can we really possibly believe that God would spare, overlook, heavens no. And there is the glory of the church being able to proclaim that there is hope. There is hope in Christ. When you and I begin to think about what's happening in our days, these are the high times of the church, not the low times. These are the glorious moments when the the gospel and the sharing of our faith can make the tremendous difference to people's lives. We've been going through the three circles in Sunday morning, and as we've talked about the, the method of sharing our faith, we've talked about the challenges that come with it, but also the joy that come with also seeing people's lives transformed. Well, I can tell you, as Jonah went into this city and he began to preach, It's surprising. We're going to find out in chapter 4, he was not ecstatic. He got angry because they repented. Well, that's, that's for next week. I won't go into that now. Why is this so important? Well, if you notice in chapter 3, please look. When the king began to hear what God had determined to do, he commanded Everyone to put on sackcloths, not eat or drink for days, to abase themselves. Why? Notice what it says. It says in verse 9, who knows, God may yet relent with his compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Two things that strike me about that that are quite powerful. One, they know that the end of their life, apart from this kind of abasement, is perishing. Do you know the people who are in the world who are far from God know that too? The people who you rub shoulders with who are far from God, they may live as if they understand and they feel life is pretty good, but they know the end of their life is a big blank question mark and the perishing of it is really quite amazing have you heard of the have you heard of the TV program called Ghost Whisperers you ever heard that it's a it's a revised program It, it went from 2005 to 2010 I never saw the program but it was only on for about five years because of Netflix and other streaming companies it's now being revived It's about a woman who sees dead people. And and these people come to her and they tell them about the the problems they had, about how to resolve this issue with this person who's still living. And so she becomes the medium. By the way, um, that is considered by God to be an apostasy. There is no one who can talk to the dead. If you are someone who looks at the um, what do they call it? The horoscope? In the yeah. I wonder if, why it's called a horoscope. <laughs> if you look at that and you base your life on that, you're actually practicing witchcraft. Did you know that? Well, Robert, that's just silly. Is it? Do you put any trust in it? 
When we go out to eat at Chinese restaurants, we laugh and open fortune cookies. You put any trust in those two? I noticed on the last fortune cookie it had a number on the back that you could play the lottery. I kept one one year to see if it won. It didn't. Where am I going with this? Well, I'm going with it in this direction, my friends. That you and I, when we begin to think about what it means to put God first, there is no one who can answer the questions of life and death except Jesus Christ. And then the question comes, who then can be saved? And the answer is only those who repent and believe. Now in this story, the people did repent. They turned from their sins. They cried out to God to be merciful, and he was. But their repentance was not a repentance that led to eternal salvation. They simply temporarily adjusted their life. Well, what does it mean to have repentance unto faith? Well, we read it in our confession. It says repentance unto life is a saving grace. It's not something we do. It's something God does in us. As we look to Christ and to the cross alone, God does a work in us where our hearts are so moved by God's spirit and word that we are changed in the inward person. That we recognize not only how dangerous it is to commit sins, but also how filthy and how hateful they are to God. Understanding that in Christ, God is merciful to those who repent. Sinners like me suffer such deep sorrow for and hate their sins so much that they turn away from them all and turn to God, attempting to walk continually with him and according to, his new, to a new obedience in every way. You hear it. You see, the most powerful thing about Jonah's preaching is that it warned people of a judgment, and they heard it and repented, but they didn't go far enough to be saved. They didn't give themselves to God and be transformed by it. I dare say that that's what's happening in politics today in our culture, that if we elect the right person, then we'll become a godly nation. It it will not happen. That if we, if we have the right policies, that our nation somehow then will return to godliness. No, it will not happen. Then how will we be able to see our culture, our nation, once again turning to God? It is only through repentance of faith. It is giving up the things of wickedness that we know we are doing. Repenting and honestly confessing them to God and then hating them the way he hates them and loving God the way Jesus loved him. And in that way, we would see a revival in our country. How about you? As we study this book of Jonah and we are reluctant in our own hearts to follow God, are you convinced that Jesus really is the only one who can save this nation? Are you really convinced that Jesus is the only one who can save your marriage, save your job, save your children, your grandchildren? Are you really convinced 
that Jesus is the only one who can change the hearts of the people you love who are far from him? And you say, I, I want to. Well, my friends, that's the challenge of a church today. Let me tell you, this past week as we were at, at the general, event, general Assembly, we were talking about the future of the church. And we had a long discussion about evangelism and how to reach people in this culture. And one of the things that became crystal clear in our discussions is, as a church, we have to get back to the gospel itself. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God given under heaven whereby men and women must be saved. We cannot save them by giving them food or clothing them or giving them shelter. All those things are indeed important. And in a social justice that should be accomplished in our, our faith, we should be caring for the pregnancies of young women. We should be giving food to the poor. We should be clothing the naked. But without the gospel, they still are not changed. The most incredible thing that happened to me this week is as I began to think and reflect on my life, I began to think and say, Lord Jesus, I, I wish I could go back and tell people about your love and your mercy. I wish I would have known then what I know now. That the only way, the only way people can find forgiveness and peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way. Imagine you found out there was a, another pandemic in our country. And that after all that we've experienced there was one thing that be, could be prescribed that would eliminate, that would save people from dying from the pandemic. What would you give to have it so that you would not perish? More importantly, what would you do to make sure that other people had it as well. When we look at Jonah, he's reluctant after all that he's been through, swallowed by a whale. He goes and preaches about the judgment of God. And when people respond, he, he becomes angry. Why? Maybe because he forgot that he needed God's forgiveness too. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, as we think about the true motives of our following Christ, as we think about the ways in which you call us from darkness to light, we are very much aware in this transition in our church that there is a great calling that we have not to promote or to keep this building the way it is today. That you have called us as a people to proclaim Christ to a world desperately in need of forgiveness and reconciliation with you. 
And so as we think about this story of Jonah, God, I must ask, is there anything in my heart that I am reluctant to do for you after all that you have done for me? Search me and know me, God. Try me and test my ways. And see if there's any wicked way within me that I might repent and turn to the living God, not from my own satisfaction, but that others might see my faith and my love for you and want to know more about the God who could forgive even Robert Howard. And this we pray, humbly in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the people of God said together,